Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the Florida Keys Weekly Podcast. This is Keys Weekly Marathon Editor Alex Rickert taking over. I stole the mic from Mr. Britt Myers today for a very special guest. Uh, with me, I have our woman working the magic on the switchboards, Miss Shanice. Shanice, how's it going? You know, it's pretty good. It's another beautiful day in paradise. Shanice is also my personal podcast coach for today, so we're going to have a lot of fun with it. And we did want to take a second to thank all of our listeners out there on the radio, our early risers at WKWF AM 1600 and FM 103.3 on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. And our even earlier risers at 93.7 NRG at 5 a.m. on Sunday. So today we have a very, very special guest. We've got Kevin Martin of the multi-platinum band Candlebox coming on to join us today. Candlebox has a brand new album, Wolves, out uh, at the end of 2021, and they are also going to be coming down, well, Kevin is, for an acoustic show at the Key West Theater on Tuesday, February 22nd. So he's going to be joining here in us here in just a couple of minutes. We're going to be talking to him a little bit about Candlebox's beginnings. And they also filmed a music video in Marathon in 1995. So we've got some questions for him about that music video, including a part where he held his breath underwater for almost a minute singing a verse of the song. So Yeah, that was trippy. I don't know how he did I As somebody who grew up in the Keys, I still can't understand how people do that. Yep. And he was... He's not even from here. He didn't grow up anywhere near the ocean. <laughs> yep. Came from Seattle all the way across to here. Joining me today by Zoom is Kevin Martin from the legendary multi-platinum band Candlebox. They've got a new album, Wolves, out in 2021. And Kevin, you'll be down here in Key West for a show at the Key West Theater on Tuesday, February 22nd, if I understand right. Correct? Yeah, man. I, that, I'm excited. I haven't... I haven't been to the Keys since 1995, so I'm very excited to be coming back to, and certainly to be playing an acoustic show. I, I, uh, I, I love that little town, and and I just think it's um, I think it's pretty special. So I'm I'm stoked to uh, to be uh, to be coming back. That is awesome. So you actually led right into the first thing I was going to ask. So thank you for being here. But um, you guys <laughs> filmed a music video right where I live. So I'm in Key West right now, but I live up in uh, Marathon in 1995, yeah. like you said, right? So how did it yeah. come to be that a Seattle band ended up picking a tiny island in the middle of the Florida Keys uh, to film that? <laughs> well, we were on tour. Um, so the video was directed by legendary um music director and film director, uh, actually Oscar winning film director, uh, Gus Van Zandt. And he had, uh, he had approached us about doing, um, this video, uh, because he, he felt connected to the song and we were like, listen, we're on tour. Um, and he's like, well, it's fine. Well, uh, my concept is, you know, you guys are, you know, uh, kind of, um, a fish out of water sort of concept, you know, and, uh, he kind of knew the story about, how we were treated in Seattle and, you know, like we're kind of the redheaded stepchild of the music scene up there. So right. he said, we'll do it. We'll do it down there where you guys are going to be. Um, we were playing Miami and, and um, so we drove down to marathon and shot the video down there and, and uh, had a lot of fun doing it. It's very cool. Um, he's a, he's an incredibly talented um, director and, and a lovely human being. And we just had an absolute blast and we happened to be there for about four days. We had to do a, I think we had to do a bit of a, um, uh, scuba scuba diving class um, because we were going to be more than 30 feet underwater. But it was a trip, man. It was, it was cool. It was a lot of fun. 
Awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, I was watching the music video a couple times earlier today, and I was looking at the verse that you do entirely underwater. You held your breath for uh, almost a minute a doing minute. that entire verse underwater. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. That was, uh, that was, um, that was one of those things, man. I, they, they're, you know, you've got these speakers underwater and you're kind of, um, you're, you're trying to hold your breath. You have to lip sync it. Um, I really had no idea how long that verse was, um, uh, until I got to the end of it. That'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> you can see him. I'm kind of like, Oh, move, blow it away. And, uh, <laughs> they had all these guys around me instantly with, you know, with the respirators and things. But, um, yeah, it was, it was really, it was quite the experience, man. And, and I, I think that, um, you know, it's not my favorite video Candlebox has done, uh, I think looks wise, but I, I certainly think for the experience of, of, you know, the warm waters, I mean, an interesting story is, you know, they, you have those spotted Eagle rays, um, in, in marathon and Gus stepped on one the first day. And, you know, a friend of mine, Joy's father, Joy Snook, her father was our scuba, um, preparer and kind of took care of us. He had warned us, listen, when you're walking, you've got to kind of slide your feet and, and that sort of thing. And Gus didn't pay any attention to that. So he wasn't even there the first day of the shoot. Um, cause he stepped on a spot of legal ray and the, the, the barb went right up his oh, uh, ankle. Oh no. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So he was off to the hospital. That's wild. All right. Yeah. Well, so you said you haven't been back since 95, correct? Yeah. So what are you looking forward to doing other, I mean, other than the show, obviously while you're down here? Well, I, you know, I was supposed to be on this cruise, um, this Virago cruise that was happening. Um, so that's kind of how the, the show came about. Um, and that's been canceled now. So I'll fly in the day before and, you know, get some good seafood. And, um, I mean, it's a Monday night. Is there a lot to do in, in, in Key West on a Monday night? <laughs> oh, there's stuff to do in Key West any night. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I'll find some trouble somewhere and, yeah. and uh, you know, wake up, wake up a little bit of a hangover on Tuesday, but no, I haven't been back. I, uh, my guitar player Island, he goes down there every single year, um, with his wife. So he's telling me some things to do. Um, he's not going to be with me on this run. My, my buddy Brian is uh, playing acoustically with me. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I'm excited. I love it. Um, I talked to my wife, you know, several times about spending some time in Key West. She has a clothing line and, and, um, there's a couple of boutiques down there that sell her stuff. So I'm like, maybe you should come with me and, you know, we'll visit the stores and you can make it a business trip and, and, um, we'll have a nice little relaxing time. There. Perfect. There you go. Um, yeah. you know, I, I, did want to kind of switch gears a a little bit and say, you know, you guys were there in the mid nineties. You're surrounded by the biggest movements in us. One of the biggest music movements in us history, the Seattle grunge movement. You got guys like Scott Weiland around you, Lane Staley, Chris Cornell, Jerry Cantrell, Shannon Hoon. Where did Candlebox kind of fit into that group as you guys were forming? Um, Are there any, you know, stories you can share about those guys or how Candlebox came to be in the midst of all that stuff? Well, we don't, you know, the, the sad thing is, is we didn't really fit in. Um, and of course, you know, Shannon, Blind Melon, those guys were from, you know, Pennsylvania and, and Indiana and, and Scott Weiland and um, STP are from, from Orange County. So, you know, really the only guys that I would have had any kind of relationship with in Seattle uh, were Lane and Jerry and Chris and, and Eddie and Andy and, you know, all those guys from, from the actual Seattle bands. Um, but I was five years younger 
in age than all those guys. So I didn't really have, um, you know, I, there's not a lot of 21 year old guys that are going to hang out with a 16 year old kid. Um, you know what I'm, I'm saying? So we came, we came around, um, about, you know, three years after all those bands had formed Candlebox formed in 1991. Uh, and that's when Pearl jam's first record came out. So, um, uh, that, you know, that's not to say that we weren't playing in other bands and other projects, you know, um, Pete was playing in, uh, guitar in several bands. Scott was, was in uh, a couple metal bands back in the day with, um, Jeff Tate and Kelly, um, uh, Kelly Gray and, and, um, Barty was playing in several bands and I was playing drums in a couple bands. So I wasn't even a singer. Um, I was a drummer, um, prior to Candlebox. So my first band singing is, is this band that I've been in now 30 years. Um, so we didn't really fit in. We kind of came around uh, on the tail end of things. Um, and we don't really sound uh, like any of those bands. And, you know, that being said, most of the Seattle bands don't really sound like one another. They they all have their individual tones. I think the thing that collectively makes us maybe sound like Seattle bands is there's a sincerity um, and an honesty that to the, to the music that was created at that time that I don't think we've seen since. Um, and it's because I don't think any of us, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of shooting from the hip here, but I don't think any of the bands that came out of, of Seattle really cared that they had, you know, rock star careers. It was, we can't do anything but make music. This is what we're supposed to do. Right. This is how we're supposed to live our lives. And, you know, if the career comes with it, that's great. I mean, it's, of course, it's nothing but problems, but, you know, it, it allows you to make a living. And that was kind of, I think, why why that scene is so, to this day, still so revered um, and respected is because of that. It, it wasn't... Um, it was never about being a successful rock band or becoming a rock star. It was that this is the only thing we know. And, and, and the, you know, I started playing music when I was six years old. Um, my first instrument was French horn. My second instrument was clarinet. Then I went to play the flute. And then from, from then on, I started playing drums. So I've been, and I started singing in first grade and I sang all the way through uh, my senior year uh, of, of high school in choir. So music has been my life since I can remember. Um, and that's kind of, how most of the bands from Seattle were the same way. It was just, there was nothing else to do. Right. Well, who out of those guys, you know, to this day, who do you still listen to and inspire you the most? And actually, I guess it's a two part question because I want to know this too. Do you listen to your own music? I know everybody, I feel like a lot of artists, when you hear them in interviews and everything, they're very split. Some of them say, yeah, I jam it every day, man. And some were like, I put it out and then I never want to hear it again. I don't want to listen to myself. Yeah, I I rarely listen to um, the Candlebox. I I certainly don't listen to the first three albums, um, only because I've known them now going on thirty years. But um, there's a, there are a couple tracks that I really really love that I produced over the, the past few years. Stuff off of Disappearing at Airports um, that I I'm just so proud of, um, and and then stuff off the Last Record Wolves, which um, it, I think is to this day, probably the best Candlebox record since the debut album. Um, Wolves, you're saying is? So, Wolves, yeah. Okay. Um, it's just, there's 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 a creative side to that record that, you know, we tapped into something, and that's a rarity, you know. At, at this age, I'm 52 years old, and, and you know, to 
to be so inspired by, you know, the guys that I play with, that's who inspires me. I mean, I don't really listen to Pearl Jam or, or um, Soundgarden or Alice in Chains. I, I, you know, I haven't listened to Soundgarden mainly because, you know, since Chris's passing, I just haven't been able to. Um, right. I was just such a, you know, just a huge fan and, and he was a good friend and um, it's just hard to listen to it um, for me. But, you know, Alice, I was great friends with Lane and, and when he passed, you know, it was heartbreaking and, and you know, and another um, another sad loss to heroin and, and whatnot. But I, you know, I really am inspired by a lot of the new kind of alternative music that's out. Um, I love the war on drugs. Um, I think that the, as a band, those guys are pushing the envelope musically, um, that hasn't been pushed in a long, long time. Um, and you know, I would compare them to what the Beatles were doing when they made let it be or the white album. Wow. Um, and, and that's what inspires me is, is bands like that. Um, I also love perfume genius. I think he's an absolutely brilliant um, musician. And, uh, and again, one of those guys that is just pushing the envelope musically, Billie Eilish, brilliant, um, artist and inspiring. And, um, and also a band from Australia called gang of youths, which I think, um, is, is just such an incredibly creative, um, talented group of guys, um, that are, it's, it's strange. I don't know how to explain what it is that they're doing. It's pop music. It's alternative, but the way he's singing is, is he's got elements of Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen and David Bowie. I mean, his approach towards singing is so different than anybody I've heard in years. And, and that's what inspires me, you know? Um, yeah. And it's what makes me want to make music, you know, and, and wish that I was in that band. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Radiohead, you know, I mean, there's another Tom York, man. The guy's incredibly talented. Yeah. Well, you, you touched on it a little bit in, in that last answer and we can go into this as much or as little as you want. Obviously I want to be respectful with whatever you want to or not want to talk about, but you know, so many of the, the guys from that Seattle scene or the, you know, the grunge movement flew a little bit too close to the sun. Unfortunately, they're no longer with us. How did you guys avoid, you know, following that same path? Is it, you know, something where you consider yourself lucky or were there things that you guys did to kind of avoid, um, following, you know, in that, in that tragic trend for a lot of those guys? Well, you know, I, certainly your environment has a lot to do with the, with the drugs that you're taking um, or the alcohol that you're drinking. You know, I, I moved to Seattle in 1984. I was 14 years old. My father um, took a job up there. So I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't raised in that kind of dreary, dark, um, moody weather that, um, you know, is uh, synonymous with Seattle and and what it is. Um, I came from uh, from, uh, San Antonio, Texas and and skateboarding and and living my life um, that way. So, um, I didn't really fall into the trap because it wasn't something that I was enticed by. Um, you know, I really preferred, um, to be outdoors and, and, and doing things. And it was strange to move to a city where I wasn't able to do that. Um, okay. you know, I, I landed, you know, January of 84 and it was raining and it rained for six months. So I was stuck in, uh, in my basement, you know, playing music. Oh, and geez. I guess that's kind of how it all starts with those guys is, is, or how it started with them was, that environment, you know, when you're trapped in, uh, in a 
basement or whatever. Right. And all you can do is reach for some sort of, you know, um, escape. Nothing and I, you know, I don't really know the, yeah, I don't, and I don't know the history of, of their, you know, their lives with their families and how close they were with the, the their parents or something like that. You know, I, I had a great relationship with my parents and, and, um, and, you know, I, I didn't come from a broken home or anything like that. So maybe that's, you know, how I avoided it. I don't really know. No, that makes sense. Makes sense. Well, we are here on the Florida Keys Weekly Podcast here with Kevin Martin, frontman of the legendary multi-platinum band Candlebox. I was calculating it today just to just to think about it in my head. You guys, that first album, four times platinum, that means that one on average of every 80-ish people in this country is walking around with your record. How, like, <laughs> is, is that, like, weird to think about? Do you ever reflect back on it? Well, I wish it was 80 out of every 80 people were carrying it around. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it's interesting for, for any musician, you know, when you make your first album, um, it's your life, it takes a lifetime, you know, to make it. And then from there, it's like, where do you go from there? Because you, you feel like you've used up, you know, everything that you could uh, possibly talked about. And then you continue right. to make records and there are more stories to be told. Um, I think for me, you know, it, how I look back on it is I, I'm very, very fond of the time that I spent um, writing those songs and recording those songs with Pete and Barty and Scott. I, I, I look back with great fondness on those moments. And, um, and you know, if it, if it had sold 10 million copies, uh, 20 million copies, 30 million copies, 10 copies, 20 copies, 40 copies, um, it it's really more so about the accomplishment of making the album than it is of, of what it's moved. Right. Is it a little mind bending that, yeah, one in 80 people have that record. Yeah, of course. It's, I mean, that's shocking to me. Um, and, and I don't even know what the population was at the time in the United States when the record came out. I'm sure oh, yeah. it wasn't, you know, three and a half billion people, but no, that's a good um, point though. You know, so, back then it was probably way more than one in 80. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. And, and, you know, the fact that far behind is, is that song that continues to, to, um, keep people interested in what I'm doing and, and, and allows me to tour and pays my rent now going on 30 years is, is pretty incredible. Um, wow. and I don't, I, I don't certainly look at, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a gift horse that I would never look at, at in the mouth. I'm so appreciative of it. And, and so grateful that, that, I met Barty and Pete and Scott when I did and that we wrote those songs that we wrote. Um, it's just, uh, I'm really very lucky. And it all goes back to, you know, honestly, you know, my father surviving Omaha beach in June 6th of 1944, without that happening, I don't even exist. So I should be more grateful that my dad lived through something like that than, um, (laughs) than the one in 80 people carrying my record around. But I, you know, it's, uh, it's, there's all sorts of things that can play with your mind when it comes to that sort of thing. Yeah, I gotcha. Well, I mean, you guys had obviously that huge success, but the longevity of it, you know, to be 30 years into this thing, I, if I'm calculating correctly, next year will be the 30th anniversary of your first record, correct? So, yeah, yeah, exactly. you know, as as you've gone throughout those 30 years, the 
the country has seen a huge change in the music industry. And I'm sure my knowledge of it is only scratching the surface. You know, when you guys first started, people were buying music and entire albums, listening to them all the way through on repeat. And now you've got streaming, you've got a lot more singles, you know, Best Buy doesn't even sell CDs anymore. You know, I remember back, you know, when we would open up even CDs to, to read the album notes, read the thank yous from each band member. What has it been like to be in a band putting out music and albums across that entire transition. What do you think of the industry now? Well, the industry's, you know, screwed, frankly. Um, and it's, so? and it's skewed. Oh, it's, I mean, there's, you can't make money as a band anymore. I mean, unless you're in the top 20, um, pop music, you're, you're not making any money. Um, and it's skewed to, um, to where the majors, make all the money. Uh, your mm. publisher makes all the money. You, you really can't in this day and age to try and put a record out. I mean, I, I have a lot of friends that are, you know, in, in young bands that have, we've had open up for us and stuff that, you know, that, um, I respect and I want people to see. Um, and I, I would hate to be in their shoes right now trying to sell an album or trying to get any type of recognition whatsoever for, for, for what it is that you're accomplishing, accomplishing as a band. Um, we're set out, setting out to do because the, the competition is um, there's so much of it and it's all geared to not let you succeed. If your socials aren't um, at, you know, at least 20,000 and there's right. no label that's going to look at you. Uh, you can have, you know, a million streams on Spotify and no labels interested. Unless you're, like I said, unless you're in that top 20, uh, uh, Billie Eilish or Kanye West or Taylor Swift or BTK or whatever they're called. I mean, uh, you know, Harry Styles, yeah. unless you're this crazy pop star, nobody gives a shit. And, um, and pardon my French, you no, know, but good. Uh, it, it's really, it's, it's, I don't know how anybody's doing it right now, man. I mean, I, I, you know, I struggle when I'm on tour to, to make ends meet um, financially. It's, it's difficult. Okay. Understood. Well, um, we don't want to take up too much of your time here, but we do, we are in the keys. We're going to end with a couple little, uh, rapid fire fun stuff. Is that cool? If we wow. finish up that yeah. way. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So we've got a couple of uh, true or false and finish the sentence here. All right. So true or false, you or any of the band Candlebox were featured in the movie or the soundtrack for the film singles. No, false. False. Okay. True or false. You still have at least one pair of Doc Martens that you owned in the nineties. True. True. Yes. I still wear them. I you still wear them? them? Are you wearing them right now? Uh -huh. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Finish the sentence. The most underrated artist from the grunge movement is or was. Wow. Putting you on the spot a little bit. That's a tough one, man. That's a tough one. I would have to say, uh, Mary Lou Lord or, um, there's a band called Bam Bam, which I'm obsessed with that I, that I talk about on, on my podcast. Um, Matt Cameron was the drummer of, so I would say probably Mary Lou Lord or Bam Bam which people probably don't even know about. Well, that that's perfect for underrated then now that they can, they can listen to you and then look them up. Perfect. Well, Mary Lee Lord was Kurt Cobain's girlfriend before he met Courtney Love. So, okay. Were you partial to actually leads into my next question? Were you partial to Eddie Vedder or Kurt Cobain? Cobain, uh, just because I grew up on punk rock. Perfect. 
Well, I think that is pretty much all that we had for you, Kevin. But I just want to remind our listeners, Kevin is coming down to the Key West Theater on Tuesday, February 22nd. Candlebox has their new album out, Wolves. Make sure you download that, pick it up wherever you can. Kevin, thank you so, so much for your time today. This was awesome to just to get to sit down and have a conversation with you. Thank you so much. Uh, my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on the Florida Keys Weekly Podcast. We air on WKWF AM 1600 and FM 103.3 on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. You can also catch us at 93.7 NRG, 5 a.m. Sundays, and of course, podcast form, www.keysweekly.com. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and other podcast outlets. Thank you again for listening.